Welcome to the podcast of the Hubbard Center for Southwest Studies at Colorado College. My name is Santiago Ivanguerra, and I am the W.M. Keck Director of the Hubbard Center for Southwest Studies. First, I'd like to acknowledge the indigenous peoples and ancestors who lived and thrived on the lands where Colorado College and the Hubbard Center is located, particularly the Apache, Arapaho, Comanche, Cheyenne, and the Ute, on whose unceded territories Colorado College was founded. We sit in the shadow of Taba, the Sun Mountain, so named by our Ute relatives. We extend our greeting to all of our relatives in Indian country, but particularly to those in the southwestern United States, the U.S.-Mexico border, and northern Mexico. At the Hulbert Center, we stand and fight for racial justice. We believe that black lives matter, that no human is illegal, that we must honor the lives of missing and murdered indigenous women. We stand in solidarity with those that are marginalized, with women of color, with the LGBTQ community, with immigrants, and with all those who believe that our struggles bring us together in solidarity. Thank you, and stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Santiago here again. So we're doing something a little different with the podcast this time around. I recently taught a course, Marijuana Movement and Cannabis Culture. And before you jump to conclusions, no, this is not a class where students consume cannabis or try different strains out or things like that. No, it's a critical social scientific look, historical look, at how we got to this point in terms of marijuana policy and the role that cannabis plays in all of our lives. Whether you're the individual that's now purchasing CBD products over-the-counter at your local health food store, or the individual seeking out psychoactive cannabis as medicine, this policy shift has really affected all of our lives. And so I found it necessary, given my expertise and my research on the subject, to give students a critical look into thinking about the history and ongoing debates and policy implications of having to try to figure out how to regulate, tax, and really live with this plant in a new way. As part of this course, the students were tasked with the final project of producing something, a podcast episode, what we're calling a mini-sode for our own podcast, and trying to inform a broader public about something that they learned about cannabis in this course. So for the next few shorter episodes, we're turning the feed over to these students you'll have the opportunity to listen to three different mini-sodes focused on cannabis and thinking critically about what this plant uh, really means historically and in the contemporary moment. We hope you enjoy it, and uh, I'd like to recognize the students from this course for doing such great work and producing uh, such great content for us to be able to feature on our podcast feed. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Why Why Can't We Be Friends? Joining me today is myself, Andres Madrigal, Saul Mendez Villalpando, Liz Cero, and Isabel Manso. We have been interested in learning more about medical marijuana in the United States especially about what specific effects it provides as a medicine and the process of researching and discovering these benefits. 
To learn more about this from an expert in the field, we reached out to Western Washington University professor Josh Kaplan. Josh is a Colorado College alumni belonging to the class of 2008 and majoring in neuroscience. After a year as a paraprof in the psychology department, Josh attended Oregon Health and Science University to work on earning his PhD. He entered the Department of Behavioral Neuroscience, where his research interest was, in his own words, to compare how alcohol differently acts in the brain of individuals with opposite levels of genetic risk for becoming alcohol dependent. From there, Josh moved into more cannabis-related research topics, but still related to how certain actions or substances affect the human brain. More specifically, his research seeks to optimize cannabinoid and terpene compositions to maximize benefit and minimize adverse consequences. Josh was included in High Times 100 Most Influential People in Cannabis in 2018 and Cannabis Newsletters Top 100 in 2021. He is currently an assistant professor in the Behavioral Neuroscience Program at Western Washington University, where he says his expertise is neurophysiology neuropharmacology, and animal behavioral techniques, which his lab uses to study the therapeutic benefits and developmental consequences of cannabis and preclinical rodent models. Here are a few key moments from our conversation with Josh. What initially motivated you to get involved with cannabis research? There were kind of two groups of people disseminating information. You had the scientists who were disseminating information to other scientists, and it wasn't really all that accessible to everyone else. And then you had the general media that was trying to convey this cannabis-based information to folks, but it was they, they were sometimes missing the point or it was inaccurate. And, you know, this is just kind of a perpetuating soundboard where people, one person publishes something and then it gets picked up by another and the false information just, you know, occurs in a cycle here. So I like communicating the science. Why don't I write for groups like High Times and some other sites, including Leafly, which is a big one um, out here on the West Coast. And yeah, that, that really allowed me to kind of have one hand in the laboratory doing the work, but also another in the communication space. And I've really enjoyed both. Sweet. So the next question that we wanted to ask you was, what are some of the effects that you've seen in your research on cannabis that are more negative in nature? I think generally as a field, there have been challenges because of the variability and range in what it is we're talking about when we're talking about cannabis. <laughs> like if I say like, oh, you know, we use cannabis to treat this mouse's pain and look, it worked. Hopefully your first question is, what are you talking about? Because it might mean THC alone. It might mean CBD alone. It might mean some combination or some whole plant extract, which contains, like you said, multiple cannabinoids and terpenes, which together have different effects than them on their own. It's also a moving target. And the problem is cannabis today is very different than cannabis even five years ago, let alone 20 or 30 years ago. It's more potent, right? 10 years ago, if you had a cannabis strain that was over 30% THC, like that was winning awards at the Cannabis Cup. Nowadays, if you can't grow a strain with 30% THC, you're not worth your weight as a grower. So potency has increased and that's become increasingly problematic for studying the safety because the longitudinal studies and looking out kind of long term at the effects of 
of consumption have you know been using stuff that is now currently much more potent and so it's hard to draw firm conclusions about that there is a lot of variability out there when we're talking about cannabis there is a lot of variability in the studies in the dosing protocols they use in all of these kind of components of the research study that because there's so much variability in the plant and in the research protocol again it's hard to say that a lack of evidence means that it's ineffective as a therapeutic it's hard to say that a lack of evidence that something is hard that you know there's harm involved with cannabis consumption means that it's safe moving forward because of these changing targets here and these they, they can't move the goalposts we we continue to to face these challenges in this ever-changing market space because what people are using is far outpacing the laboratory studies. And so it makes these conclusions increasingly difficult to draw. Wow, those are some limitations that I was not aware of. In regards to these limitations, how do you think legalizing medical marijuana would affect them? My thinking is that if it became federally legal, and then there were some sort of limitations on potency. And I'm not saying this from like a personal opinion. I'm just saying this from more of like standardization method. That I think we can now start to really look longitudinally at the consequences of long-term cannabis exposure. But, you know, studies that were started 10 years ago with products that contained 10% THC, if the average product now contains 25% THC, well, how meaningful are those studies compared to the ones that are available today? Are there any myths about cannabis you want to dispel? What else would you want us to know about marijuana research? Yeah, the only thing is just like consider where your information comes from. Because the other, yeah, we talked about a lot of challenges in the field. But one of the big challenges that, that I think the scientific community faces that affects everyone, not just within science, but, you know, the future of cannabis in this country and for, for, you know, therapeutic use of cannabis is the way that information is disseminated. When people make wide ranging claims about the safety, about the efficacy, it really doesn't do anyone any good. I mean, I've had, you know, people tell me how they, you know, they took it throughout their pregnancy and their kids are geniuses and all this stuff. And I just don't think that that, that does anyone good because that's not the case. And with any type of medicine, you want the most accurate information out there in order to make it safer for everyone, in order to make it more effective for everyone. And people should know the truth, or at least what's driven by, you know, scientific an empirical investigation. And and that's kind of like been my take-home message whenever I talk to folks is really think about where that information is coming from. Because whether it's, you know, cannabis is a gateway drug, I mean, think about where that story originated from and what evidence is there to support that. Cannabis makes you lazy. Where did that information come from, you know? And is there evidence in contradiction to that? So all of those things, knowing your sources, and that, that, you know, that's the benefit of, you know, having an education, especially, I think, one that's really hit on in a liberal arts setting like Colorado College is you're taught to be a critical thinker and really think about the sourcing and, and where your information and ideas are coming from. And I think that's the most powerful tool you can have in navigating this wild world out there. I feel like we could we could pick your brain for hours, but you have a busy schedule, you know, a professor. And so we really want to like thank you for your time. My pleasure. Always good to speak with CC folks. I feel nostalgic even just talking to folks out there. So enjoy your time. Uh, enjoy this class. It sounds 
really just like a fascinating opportunity to explore this really interesting topic. Thanks to Andres, Isabel, Saul, and Liz for their awesome work researching, interviewing for, and editing their podcast. The Holbert Center for Southwest Studies podcast is made possible through the support of our Southwest Studies faculty, Eric Paramond, Karen Royball, Nancy Rios, and Santiago Guerra, as well as our administrative assistant, Carol Hernandez, and our student assistant, Yasmin Kali. The podcast is produced with the financial support of the Holbert Center for Southwest Studies Endowment and the Salazar Fund for Southwest Studies. I'm Sarah Katzib, and thanks for listening. <laughs>